This series gives you a direct line to the pinnacle traders. We're covering everything from when the odds are initially posted to looking at how the market might react. This is the opening line. Hello and welcome to the opening line. We've been away for a couple of weeks, but we're now back just in time for the start of the NFL playoffs. To start us off, we've got four wildcard games to preview before we move on to the divisional round next week. And back with me again to help uncover the value for these opening games is Adam Chernoff. Happy New Year to you, Adam. Happy New Year to you as well. Glad to hear you're off of your deathbed after the health scare over the Christmas holiday. I know it's been a couple of weeks without illness, the Christmas break, but I'm back refreshed and ready to talk about NFL. How's things for you? Did you know that it's been great, but did you know that this is the one year mark since we first did the first podcast last year? Well, there you go. Happy anniversary. I know. It's a special day. Right, well, normally what we do on these is we go through each of the games and we preview them and, and talk about the matchups and everything like that. But as we're we're just getting into the playoff season, I think we can start off by maybe talking about the, the uniqueness of playoff football or, or what makes it a little bit different to the regular season. So just to get us going, is there any kind of themes that have emerged from this season or from, from seasons past that you think betters might overlook or that they they really need to consider before we move into the playoff action so from my personal perspective there's not an enormous difference just from how i look at games or how i'm going to handicap games there have historically been a couple of points that you would see really dictate markets and the first one was a quarterback making his first playoff start especially on the road in the past decade i guess we could put a timeline on it this was like historically a spot where you would almost always see money go against that quarterback and tighten up the market and as things have been very strange for the course of the regular season uh as we'll touch about in some of these games we're seeing it uh really be the opposite so far this year so it's interesting to see that switch so usually that was sort of point number one that you wanted to focus on and then the same could be applied to head coaches as well, where it became sort of a big step up for a lot of the head coaches. Once again, not really seeing that this year either. Uh, And then the second would be a little bit of an inflation on home field advantage. Um, It would really be sort of matchup and team specific, but usually the home field rating would be a little bit stronger than it would be in a regular season spot. Uh, And with this season where home field advantage was as poor as it's ever been and really on the decline uh, for the first time in a number of years, there's also a question mark around that and how much impact it's going to have on these markets and how much you really have to put in in terms of it putting anything extra on top of the standard home field that you would take it from the regular season. So, for again, for me personally, not much changes, but those were always things and sort of those spots that I was definitely aware of. And this year it is kind of an outlier in the sense that I'm not really seeing any of those apply. So a strange regular season in terms of how markets were moving, we're certainly carrying into the openers and now we're seeing some of these games move early as well and obviously we've got some teams that they've they've made the playoffs before others and there's a a few teams we can talk about later on that the record has kind of tapered off and people might be suggesting it's it's taking the foot off the gas or it's resting up not playing to your full potential do you think any of that actually goes on i i think we saw a lot of that in week 17 with four teams that quotes had nothing to play for and we we saw them rest some starters but then again we saw some of them come away with victories too so i do think the teams 
uh, do dial it back a little bit at the end of the year. It's really difficult to take that and sort of apply it within the betting market accurately. Um, but certainly when it comes into the playoffs, it's not something that I really look at or considers really motivation could never be much higher for these spots. And there's, there's bound to be a lot of pressure involved when it's that, that one-off game of football, losing you out type of thing. But one of the things we've got here as well is we've got a lot of rematches from the regular season. So is that something, do you read into it when we've got, I know it's a, a very small sample size, but do you read into it when we've got a rematch from from the regular season and, and what influence that might have? Yeah, you can you can certainly look back. Uh, I think it's a good spot, it, especially if the game was recent. If you're looking at a matchup that happened early parts of the season, first three, four, five weeks, um, maybe not so much. But if you're looking at games that happen in in December or like late November, where there's like a, a reference point that's not um, outdated and sort of irrelevant to apply to this game from from a market perspective, point spread and total, uh, you certainly see that. And I think Philadelphia Seattle is a pretty good example of that in terms of how the market moved and what prices we're seeing. So from from an odd standpoint, there's certainly something to to say to look back at those unless anything's um, really changed and sort of get a point for that spread in total. Right, so that's player football in general, if you will. So now we can talk about some, some actual teams that are taking part. And what I'd like to do is just run through the the futures that Pinnacle have got to, to win the Super Bowl and the odds for each of the teams. And maybe if you could just... Tell us if there's teams that kind of jump out to you. I know you've got a, your futures bet on that you put on before the start of the season and stuff like that. But is there any here that you think maybe are overpriced, underpriced, or that that jump out as a bit of a, a surprising one? So to start off with, we've got the Baltimore Ravens. They've obviously stood out with Lamar Jackson all season. They're the favourites at 3.09. San Francisco 49ers close up behind them at 4.92. Kansas City Chiefs 5.43. And then the Saints at 6.81. Green Bay Packers, 9.77. Patriots, quite low down at 13.38. Seattle Seahawks, 25.72. And then you've got the Eagles, the Texans, Vikings, Titans, and Buffalo Bills that are all kind of around the the 40.0 plus 40 to 1 plus 4,000, whatever your odds preference is. So which out of those do you think are worth talking about? Um, So just before we get into which one I thought, an interesting number that I think is usually quite relevant each season is looking at the top three teams from the net yards per play ranking net yards per play has long been correlated to winning and having success in the NFL as a team. And if we look back since the playoff structure changed in 2002, there's been a team every year, except one that finished in the top three, but overall of the all Super Bowl teams that have played in the Super Bowl since 2002, half of them, have finished in the top three of net yards per play. And with the Dallas Cowboys eliminated this year, they finished second. San Francisco, Baltimore, and Kansas City. Baltimore and KC tied for number three. Uh, But San Francisco, Baltimore, and Kansas City would be the three teams that fit that this season. So it'll be interesting to see if that number carries. It is now, I'm looking back, 2007 was the last time that a team in the top three did not make the Super Bowl. There was another year along the way where two teams made it that both finished in the top three. So if you're looking at it from that perspective, something that's existed now since really long before I got into betting, um, that's been a a spot where where bettors have looked to the futures market to sort of find some value, especially in this sort of week 17 before the wild card spot in time. I think that the Kansas City Chiefs are the best team in football. In my power ratings, I've got them at a 91. 
my ratings are out of 100. And to put in perspective how close Baltimore is behind them, I've got Baltimore to 90. So not a huge gap, uh, but certainly with the buy, that price has come down a lot. Pre-week 17, there was a little more value uh, with Kansas City. Obviously, with them getting the buy, that slashed this price pretty dramatically. Um, so right now, um, you're looking around plus 450, 5.5 on Pinnacles. So that's it's a short number. Um, and really, you're going to be looking at Kansas City as a pretty substantial favorite against anyone they get next week. And then going into Baltimore, I think the market's going to come out high on that price just because of a lot of people buying into Baltimore. If that's ultimately the matchup we get, uh, probably going to suspect Baltimore to open right around a five to six point favorite, which is going to be too large. Um, and that's going to be bet down is my anticipation of that number. I think five is probably the true opener there, but I like Kansas City. They beat them once earlier in the season. And that was without Tyreek Hill. Um, obviously, Baltimore and KC have changed a lot since then. But if you look at these two teams, Baltimore really playing at a, the highest range we've seen a team sort of exceed their their average price point uh, over the course of the season, especially in my ratings where I had them as sort of an 85 max and I've got them playing up to a 90 out of 100, which is pretty um, incredible to see. So I think that there's going to be just a little bit too much support and really create some value on Kansas City when you're looking at the difference between a futures and a rollover price. I'm going to have to sort of come in with a pretty large stake. So if you are looking from a futures perspective, KC is probably quite interesting. Uh, in the NFC, uh, the Green Bay Packers have a buy and they're priced worse than the New Orleans Saints in the NFC as well as the San Francisco 49ers. So uh, a little bit interesting there to see that New Orleans, who's likely to go into Green Bay next week if they're able to beat the Minnesota Vikings and play the Packers despite having to play an extra game as well as go on the road to play in Green Bay. The Saints uh, or the Packers are listed with a worse price than the Saints. So that's a pretty interesting market dynamic that I haven't necessarily seen before that I can remember where a team with a buy was priced this much worse than a team without a buy. So I think that speaks pretty highly about how the market views the New Orleans Saints. Um, a bit of a surprise if we look a little bit further down, potentially, uh, and I hate to get too excited about this because I think that they're one of the most misleading teams that we've seen in a while alongside Green Bay. Seattle at 26 to 1, 25 to 1. If you look at path, you get a Philadelphia Eagles team with some question marks. We'll talk about this team in detail in a little bit, but if Seattle can get through Philadelphia this week, I actually quite like them to go into San Francisco and earn a win uh, against Shanahan, Garoppolo, and the 49ers, which sets them up uh, arguably with the easiest path to the championship round. Um, obviously getting a divisional opponent for the third time when they beat earlier in the season, when they probably very well could have beat in week 17. Um, it's going to be pretty about as easy as a matchup as you can ask for for Seattle in terms of familiarity in that divisional round. So if you get Seattle getting to the conference final, that's it becomes just a scary team to play. So if you're looking at 25-26, all comes down to this game this week. If they can get through it, I think that they actually have a bit of an easier hurdle to get over next week than they do this week, as weird as that sounds. So at that number, maybe a little bit long, although just their overlying season metrics are not going to get me involved. But um, that's certainly an interesting team in the NFC if you're looking at a bit of a longer price. And is it worth the considering kind of hedging out or, or trading out on these futures bet maybe for uh, for your personal bets as just as a, a general tactic for people? Is there their value in that? If you're you have to sort of approach it 
I think I would say two different ways. And hedging is always a bit of a difficult topic to cross because it, it, nine times out of 10, if you're betting against your original position that has made it this far, you're probably making a minus EV bet and taking away from your original wager. Um, but obviously people have the intention to want to sort of cover and, and negate any risk. I would say look at it two ways. You either want to clear your liability, which simply put, if you bet $100 on the Green Bay Packers to win $1,800 at the start of the season, you right now your liability is $100. You could bet against them with the opponent money line uh, to cover that $100. So if a team is plus 200 you could risk $50 on that team that's playing Green Bay to win 100 and cover your liability. That would give you, uh, in theory, a risk-free bet going the rest of the way. You have to be sort of cautious of what that ultimately may look like if you're rolling that over four or three games, depending on where your team starts as it gets to the Super Bowl. Um, so you ultimately might not have enough room with your original wager, not have enough equity built in it that that's a profitable option where you don't end up sort of burning yourself both ways. And then obviously the second one would be um, just betting against it and trying to lock in by playing other futures within the NFC or the AFC, depending where your team is and what the path looks like. You could ultimately take a combination of other teams to cover your original wager and sort of secure a profit one way or the other. Any time that I hedge, which is um, somewhat seldom. I have been sort of buying back against my Eagles future that I took earlier in the season. Um, but I tend to be more of a clear the liability type of guy. Um, that's sort of the approach that I like to take um, as it doesn't necessarily override your original position. And if you can find the spot, then you can sort of work your way towards the final game where you can lock out a profit and still leave some upside with your original wager. I think we can now talk about the, the wildcard games. So if you're ready, should we take a dive into them? Let's do it. Cool. So our first game is the Buffalo Bills at the Houston Texans. The traders initially opened this up at Houston minus three with the over under on 41 and a half. It seems like betters do like the Bills in the over at those initial numbers as the handicap has dropped to minus two and a half and the total's actually gone up to 43 and a half. Money is now coming back in on the Texans on the spread, but we're going to have to wait and see if that gets gets back to the three that it opened up at. In terms of their their regular season record, both of these two teams had a 10-6 and six record. They were up and down throughout the most part of the season. Towards the end, neither of them really looked too great. Matchup-wise, I guess, I mean, for me, it's a, a slightly above-average passing offense from the Texans coming up against what what is or was one of the best pass defenses in the league across most metrics. Weakness-wise on defense, I guess the Bills aren't, aren't too great against the run. So instead of all the attention being on Watson and Hopkins, it could be Carlos Hyde that's the main threat and potentially do some damage for the Texans. On the other side, we've got a pretty poor aerial offense for the Bills, but they're coming up against what is a, I mean, a really bad Texans defense, whether it's through the air or on the run. They don't fare too good against either of those. So plenty of avenues that the Bills could could get some success when they have the ball. What are your thoughts on the matchup? Well, my thoughts were very similar to your thoughts. I think you sort of pegged this game as as well as you can in terms of framing it. Um, the price was interesting at three. I, I thought that from the side perspective, we're going to talk about some some games here that had some pretty ridiculous 
uh, point spreads and totals set um, at three. This was a much better opener than some of the shops that put up a three and a half. I don't think that any book needed to put themselves in that position, but nevertheless, they certainly did um, at two and a half. I think this is probably a number that pushes back towards three. I wouldn't be surprised to see a three hit the board again, but this has been sort of the side that's been locked in for the most part within the market for the course of the week uh, from the total perspective. I, I, I'm curious to see what happens when it hits 44. I think it likely turns back once it gets to that point. Uh, it's been pretty consistent over money since this number hit the board late Sunday night, early Monday morning. So I think we might see a change of opinion when it gets to the key number of 44. Uh, if it doesn't, then uh, I think the under becomes a little bit tempting from that perspective. But this was a game that from a side perspective, it really depends on the injury report for Houston. And it's weird to be talking about a secondary wide receiver as having an impact. But if we look at Will Fuller specifically, with him on the field this season, which was 337 plays, Deshaun Watson had an EPA, expected points added, of plus 78.2. You take Will Fuller off of the field, which was 247 plays, Watson had a minus 4.3 EPA without Will Fuller. So you're looking at a player who's a secondary wide receiver when he's on the field, making the difference over the course of a season for plays he was involved with of north of 80 points, which is extremely significant. But it it gives you a look into how the Houston Texans play offense in terms of their scheme. And they're extremely good at matchup football. So when you have Hopkins, Fuller, and Stills, the three wide receivers, You can't, or very few teams can, play those guys single coverage. You're going to have to double one, and usually the answer to that double team is Hopkins, which really opens up Stills and Fuller, Fuller being the speed guy, to unlock this offense and and really stretch the opponent downfield and create that space that this team needs to work. So Will Fuller's been battling injuries his entire career, but this season we're seeing an enormous split with and without him and where – This week specifically, it becomes a little bit more magnified as Buffalo lost Levi Wallace in week 17 to the Jets to a non-contact injury. Wallace is the number two cornerback for the Buffalo Bills. So if you think White, the number one cornerback for the Bills, is going to be covering Hopkins along with likely a safety, providing a double-team help. If you don't have that number two corner on the other side of the field, Then you're playing 3-4 versus 2-3 for Houston. And again, this is a team that's extremely good at matchup football. They're going to be able to exploit that, especially if Will Fuller is healthy. So we're now into day three of the practice reports. And day one, way back on Tuesday, was very promising initially. It said that he was on the field. He was participating. Yesterday, all of a sudden, there became a little bit of a question mark. And he was almost downgraded a touch without anything official being made. This is the playoffs, so we're not going to see anything, especially if if someone's less than 100%, that really indicates as such. But it'll be interesting to see how his health is sort of finalized a little bit later today and what he looks like going into this game. Because if he's healthy, enormous boost for Houston that really creates an issue for Buffalo from a coverage perspective. Other side of the ball, J.J. Watt. uh, Biggest probably, I I don't think it's a stretch to say biggest impact player from a defensive perspective, you don't usually get a defensive player that's making an enormous boost to a team overall. But you look at the splits between having Watt on the field and off the field this season, and that's the difference between 
Buffalo being an elite run-stopping unit to an average, and it also has them uh, from a above-average pressure unit to a below-average pressure unit because when he's not on the field, the run game suffers. That requires extra guys to be up in the front seven. It creates extra pressure on the secondary as well. He was leading the league in solo pressures generated before he went out in week eight with that injury. So two guys that are enormously important to this injury report, and they're going to have a very big impact on where this point spread ultimately closes. This number was trending down lower than two and a half when the first injury reports came out on Tuesday. And we've seen a slow reversal back since these two guys had some optimism around their status. Be interesting to see how this really takes shape a little bit later this afternoon. I think this is going to be the last time that we're really going to see a significant move, if any. So you can look at it as a significant move or a lack of move, which will show resistance. And you might be able to read a little bit closer into the status of these guys later today. But all three of these guys, Wallace for Buffalo, Fuller and Watt for Houston. If there's any change in the status, we're going to see a bump in the price here. I think at two and a half, you have to look a little bit towards Houston. And this is a spot, again, where you, you I was sort of expecting this to go the other way. You get the rookie court, not a rookie quarterback, but a quarterback making his first start on the road in the playoffs. Tough spot against Houston. Usually the market goes the other way. Certainly didn't in this case. And so I think there's a little bit of value on Houston, but I'm not really running to bet it just because there's so many question marks about Fuller and Watt. If anything becomes clear, then I would find myself on Houston. Yeah, so I'm just reading now and the Texans defensive coordinator is saying that what will play an obvious passing down. So read into what read into that what you will, I guess. Yeah, it's again that to me I hear that and I hear more limitations than I do full availability. Now, I don't want to make it all about the Texans, but there is two big injuries that we've talked about and just as like a, a general concept, I guess, and this might be just personal opinion, but do you think people maybe look into injuries on the the offensive side more so than maybe the defensive side because both these players could have a a big impact and are we kind of biased towards the the impact of offensive players do you think i think there's absolutely truth to that no question right so now we can move on to our next game we've got the tennessee titans at the new england patriots the patriots are a five point favorite for this and they have been since the line opened at pinnacle the over under has gone up ever so slightly from 43 and a half to 44 New England ended up their season with a 12-4 and record after starting pretty well, and we have spoken about the benefit of that, that very easy schedule to start with. The Titans' record at the end of the regular season was 9-7, and and they had an okay start. They got a lot of hype when Tannehill took over from Mariota, and again, it's it's clear how the, the schedule impacted those, those performances or those results. New England, I mean, they're not the team that they once were, and despite some struggles this year, the defence definitely isn't the problem. Well, it hadn't been until the last game of the season when they got absolutely tore apart by the Miami Dolphins. But it's not so much about the Patriots' passing game anymore. They seem to be turning to the run a lot more, a lot more than usual, a lot more than previous seasons. And we might see a slight change in that, though, as the Titans are, are much better against the run. So it could actually make the, the Patriots turn back to the pass once again. As for the Titans, their offences, I've just said, that their numbers look good under Tannehill in terms of passing. Derek Henry's had another big season. As I said before, we've we've got to look more into the benefit of that that fairly easy schedule. So, do you think the Patriots will continue this struggle and this downward turn, or or do you think they've got enough to get past the Titans? I made the game six personally, and there was a spot that opened minus four, which was 
not not quite the most misleading opener. We'll get to those two coming up uh, with the Sunday games. But um, four was an interesting number to see because when you get this low, and again, at the start of the show, I was talking about how home field advantage typically is a little increased a little bit as we get into the playoffs. And New England has one of the strongest home fields in the NFL. It's declined this season. But if you're looking at the playoffs, and I don't think that it's a stretch to say New England is their home field is worth four in the playoffs. If we get to that point, you're really putting these two teams on next to an even playing field. And from that perspective, if you just want to look at comparison tables, New England finished third in overall DVOA. Tennessee finished ninth. New England is 18th in offensive expected points added per play. Tennessee finished eighth. New England finished number one in defensive expected points allowed per play. Tennessee 12th. Both teams equal in net yards per play. So it's it's not – you really look at two teams that don't – like it fits that sort of dead even category. But New England has an edge in a couple different spots. And we end up with really strength on strength and weakness versus weakness. Strength on strength being the Titans offense against the Patriots defense. And then weakness on weakness, Patriots offense, Titans defense. And if you're handicapping this game and there's really not a sort of price hurdle to overcome and you're just handicapping these two teams as equal – it's hard not to look at New England in this spot and say they're undervalued because if you're going to look at strength on strength and weakness on weakness, if there's one of those units, in my opinion, that's going to overachieve, which is really what you're looking for, it's hard not to point to that being the New England Patriots against this Titans defense. Tennessee is the worst secondary of any team in the playoffs, and personally, I don't think it's close. They're 19th in pass success rate defense for the season, and that's against the eighth easiest schedule of opposing passers. Again, you can't fault a team for the schedule they play. That's given to them by the NFL. They don't have a choice. But you can fault them for how they play. And if you're playing an easy schedule like the Titans did, and you're still finishing below average in pass defense, then that's where it becomes a bit of a concern. And you look at sort of tests where they had to step up in class playing top third offenses in the NFL. They've done that three times this season out of 16 games, they conceded 32, 24, and 38 points in those three games. And that's considerably higher than the 10 games they played against below average offenses where they conceded just 18 points. So a 13-point difference when they have to step up and play a top 10 versus a below average. So interested to see how those splits work out and how they've sort of failed to perform when they have to step up. Many betters not considering New England a step up, but they finished 14th in pass efficiency offense. So despite all the issues that New England has had, they've still been able to put forth a somewhat efficient offense. And obviously that's negated by the schedule of opposing defenses they faced at first. That's the thought. But you look, the Patriots have played the ninth most difficult schedule of opposing defenses. It was really their benefit against the offenses they faced. But in terms of defenses they played, you kind of have to give New England in this offense a little bit of slack, as strange as that sounds. So when I'm looking at this game, if I'm looking at one unit to overperform, I'm really looking at the Patriots to likely have success moving the football. And the big kicker here is Brady under pressure. It's hard to think about Tom Brady as one of the worst in the NFL at anything. But you look at his numbers under pressure. There's 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL from a passer rating and a completion percentage rating. He's in the bottom five, and that's through a sample of 43 quarterbacks. So he's worse than 32nd 
in both of those categories. And he also leads the league in passes thrown away out of the pocket. So he's bailed out on more plays than any other quarterback in the NFL. Tennessee, 20th in terms of pass rush win rate. They don't generate a lot of pressure on opposing quarterbacks. So this is a spot where Brady is likely to be clean and comfortable within the pocket. And against the secondary, if he has any sort of extra time to throw the football, I think this is going to be one of his better games of the season. On the flip side, everyone's talking about Ryan Tannehill, his Titans offense. It's fast. It's explosive. Since Tannehill took over, Tennessee third in pass success rate offense, 10th in rush success rate offense. The explosive pass rate is best in the NFL. The explosive rush rate is second. They can beat you a lot of different ways. But the caveat here is, again, these performances, Tennessee has played the third easiest schedule of opposing defenses since Tannehill took over in Week 7. The Titans have played just one top 10 defense since Week 7. That was the Saints, who ranked ninth, And the Saints had a lot of injury issues up front as well as in the secondary. Titans lost that game 38-28. to If we look at just Tannehill against top 10 pass efficiency defenses, He's only played two since he took over Kansas City and Carolina. The Panthers, that was their lowest output for the course of the season in terms of offense since Tannehill took over, just 20 points against Kansas City, his lowest yardage output. So awfully interested to see how this this team is generating a lot of hype, but you really look at their body of work overall. Since week seven, the Titans have earned victories against Tampa Bay at home, Kansas City at home, Jacksonville at home, the Colts away, the Raiders away, and Houston away. The caveat with that Kansas City game, the Chiefs put up 530 total yards of offense, was a very misleading box score. The Colts were without four offensive starters, and Houston in the game they won in Week 17, the Texans obviously sat all their starters. So we're looking at a Titans team that's generating a lot of hype for wins over really suspect competition, to say the least, in a lot of these games. So a huge step up for them in terms of quality of opponent from a defensive perspective going into Foxborough and playing the Patriots. This is Tannehill, again, in his first start on the road in the playoffs. This is a market that didn't necessarily respond to that immediately. If you're looking at a cheap five right now, certainly think there's value with the Pats. Uh, this number could continue to go up as we get closer to kickoff. When we talk about people kind of overreacting to the Titans and not maybe considering that strength of schedule, are you... Are you purely looking at market movement and what's happening in terms of the odds and things like that? Or do you also use tools like social media to to kind of get a feel for people's perceptions of teams and performances? Is that is that something you turn to? Uh, really just from where I see the openers come out, um, how that compares to my ratings and then how it moves. And I think the movement can really supplement a, a lot of that opinion that I take out of the market for sure, especially when you look at where the moves originated from and how the rest of the market responded to it. And this is a case where we're seeing some, I don't want to say reputable is the wrong word, but I guess we're saying we're seeing some some questionable bookmakers that cater to a very recreational audience being the first to move down on the underdog as well as coming out with the lowest openers. And the openers can at times be a bit of a pump fake with some intent behind it. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily the case here. So it's really a case where the openers were low. The current price was low based on my ratings and the movement was really suggesting that there was certainly support for Tennessee. So um, that's just how I look at it. And this game is very much reminding me 
of the Chargers Patriots game from last year in the divisional round where opened four and a half, closed three and a half. Patriots stumbled a bit down the stretch last season, had some question marks. Chargers were the upstart team, went through Baltimore in the wild card round, put together an amazing defensive performance, took a ton of praise from it. Patriots were up 30 at halftime in a game where there was a ton of support for the Chargers going into Foxborough to find that win. So um, some similar dynamics here, uh, not only looking at the opener, the movement, as well as some comparisons uh, from other games in the past. You said there maybe Brady could have some success at the weekend. Do you? People might say some of the criticisms have been unwarranted. Do you think kind of Belichick and the Patriots should be should be worried? Are alarm bells ringing for good reason? I the story is always that it's probably worse than it is. But again, there's another contract ending for Brady. That seems to be the case every couple of years. Where there's questions, is he going to go? But we're looking at a spot where there's a chance that this is his last game in Foxborough for New England. Um, so it's interesting to see that that's really going unnoticed, too, within this market as well. There's even on just national media, not getting a lot of talk from that perspective. So as this this could if things don't go away for New England and the Titans are able to pull up off an upset, this could well be the end of a team that's dominated for the last two decades. Right, now we've got the Minnesota Vikings at the New Orleans Saints and all the interest on this one seems to be with the over-under as it's gone from 47 to 50 at Pinnacle. The handicap opened at New Orleans minus 8 and we're still on that mark. Some interest in the Vikings but not enough of yet to to move them off that number. It was a 13-3 season for the Saints and they, they did pretty well considering that they had to do without Drew Brees for a few games. The Vikings, meanwhile, they made it to the wild card round with their 10-6 record but... The market definitely thinks they'll do well to to get any further than that. I know you're not a fan of Drew Brees or the the perception of how he's performing at the moment, but it it does look good on paper for him over the last few games. The Saints are fairly average when they go on the ground, but they will be able to to mix it up against the Vikings, and they'll they'll probably have to because the Vikings really have they've got a lot of bases covered. They're not standout performers in any part of the game really, but they they do everything well. Um, just not enough to be to, to be considered elite, shall we say. Everything for this suggests that the Saints will take the win. It, it might be more difficult than people think. Do you think the numbers are fair for this? The opening number at some places was more than fair on the total, which was as low as 44. Uh, Pinnacle Traders did a significantly better job hanging a 47. Uh, still, I think that was short. So I'm latched on to the over at a couple different numbers below the key of 47. Uh, seeing it at 50 now almost begins to open up some middle possibilities, but that's probably a conversation for another podcast. Nevertheless, the Drew Brees comment, um, certainly I've been down on him. I think that that arm strength is an issue. And if you don't believe it's an issue, you can see the differences between their success rate metrics as well as their efficiency metrics. So success rate, plain and simple, when I talk about it, if you're Looking for a successful play, it depends down and yardage gain for that down. So on the first down, a successful play is anything that gains four yards or more. Second down, same thing, four yards or more. Third down is any play that picks up a first down. So that's the simple grading for uh, success rate and a successful play in the NFL. New Orleans, from a passing perspective, finished the season first in pass success rate offense significant drop between their pass efficiency number, uh, which is closer to 10th in the NFL. And usually when you see that, what it means is that they're very good at picking up the specific down and distance, 
but they're not good at putting together big plays. And that's supplemented as well here when you look at the explosive play rate, which for New Orleans, league average. So this is not a home run hitting offense, but it's an offense that can nickel and dime you down the field. And they do so better than any other team in the NFL. That's why their first 53% of all pass plays are grading successful. That's fantastic for the course of an NFL season. Where this is intriguing to me within this game, because I think that that naturally sort of leads it to be difficult to bet an over because you need to consistently have these very efficient drives, drive after drive after drive, and you're going to need to score on more drives than average because you're not hitting those huge explosive plays. So you're going to need sustained offense for the course of four quarters, which when you're sort of mapping out a total for a game, it's always probably easier in that case to look to the under where you need one or two stalled drives late in that drive without explosive plays to sort of burn up a lot of clock and ultimately put the over out of reach. But when matched up against the Minnesota Vikings, it's the reverse on defense. The Vikings, from a defensive efficiency perspective against the pass, were actually 10th in the NFL. But when we look at their success rate down to down, they're 26th for the course of the season. So this is a Vikings defense that doesn't allow those huge home run plays and are very good when things tighten up within the red zone. But down to down throughout the field between the 20s, this is one of the worst secondaries in the NFL. And the reason that happens is because they play such tight press coverage up front at the line of scrimmage, and they don't give a lot of support to their cornerback. So when you want a matchup, if you were just to sort of create the ideal matchup for the Saints offensively, it is exactly what this Minnesota Vikings defense does and exactly how they play. And not only are these wide receivers for the Saints going to be able to find space against these corners that are playing extremely tight. The Saints have some of the best route runners in the NFL. But the pressure scheme for the Vikings up front fits in extremely well with the Saints and where Drew Brees is comfortable. Vikings have two of the best edge rushers in the NFL. They generate almost all of their pressure off of the edge. Drew Brees with his height issues throughout his career, the one spot that he's always hated pressure is directly up the middle in his face. And the Saints blocking up front on the offensive line, extremely good at containing those edge rushers, having support up front in the pocket and allowing Drew Brees to step up. And when Drew Brees steps up into the pocket, we've seen a million highlights over the course of his career where he steps up and then he burns you over the middle. And that's exactly what the Saints are going to have for the course of this game offensively. And if we want to look at schedule for some validation here, New Orleans against top 12 pass defense teams, which is a category the Vikings fit. Saints have scored 36, 34, 46, and 42 in those four games. Minnesota against top 10 passing teams, they've allowed 21, 26, 24, 37, and 23 points in those spots. So this is a game where I think the Saints have a ton of success offensively for the Vikings. Kirk Cousins, highest play action rate in the league. He works off of those huge drops, but it's all about the running game for Minnesota. Third highest run rate in the NFL. Dalvin Cook says he's 100%. When you have Dalvin Cook in the backfield, this team looks a lot different, especially from what we saw in week 16, uh, where they were relying on Mike Boone, but Cook hasn't been healthy now for a number of weeks. He comes in healthy. The Saints three weeks ago against San Francisco lost two of their best defensive linemen. They have not been tested by a running game yet. And the big test was supposed to come from the Tennessee Titans, but Henry didn't play in that game. And still the Titans were able to put up 125 yards running. 
But this is going to be the first big challenge for them because the Vikings run that outside zone running scheme. Very difficult to defend. Very difficult to game plan for. There's still a lack of familiarity now up front for the Saints. If this defensive line is not able to contain that outside zone scheme for Minnesota, that opens up any pass for Kirk Cousins against the Saints secondary with three starters on the injury report this week. So this is a spot where Minnesota likely to be able to move the football very comfortably as well. Uh, This total moving up makes all the sense in the world. I think that 50 is a much better number. I had it between 50 and 51 for the true price on this game. I think we could see this get to the high range key number of 51. Not far away now with this hanging at a 50 this morning on Thursday. So uh, over certainly the look here in my opinion. But 49 and a half or 50, the value certainly reduced. Uh, but if you are listening, you have a ticket from earlier in the week. You're sitting on a very good number. And you certainly will have options come Sunday as this total continues to tick up. So basically, we're looking at a good matchup on offense for the Saints, a good matchup on offense for the Vikings, and easy, easy as that, Adam. All roads lead to points. Yeah, I think that this this gets into the fifties for sure. Right. So now on to our final game: Seattle Seahawks at the Philadelphia Eagles, and last one of the weekend, and one that the betting market thinks should be a pretty close one. Seattle are on the road, but our traders opened up opened them up as a one point favorite. They're now minus one and a half in it. I mean, it would be surprising to see it get to the three, and if anything, it might go backwards towards the Pickham. A point has come off the total as well, but it could be on the way back up from 45. Both of these teams kind of stumbled their way into the playoffs in the end. The Seahawks ended up 11-5 and five with the Eagles coming out on top of that, that crucial game against the Cowboys, and they finished 9-7. and seven. The Seahawks were looking good at the midway point of the season, and, and three of their five losses have actually come in the last four games this season. The Eagles, meanwhile, just, I mean, they never seem to fulfill potential. I know you kind of spoke about them at the the bottom of those rankings and, and looking to improve, but it just, it was stop start and it, it never really happened for them. This one, it's it's got to all be about injuries here. Bax is the issues for the Seahawks and they've brought back Marshawn Lynch to help. They were looking good when running the ball with Rashad Penny, but now they might be forced to go through the air more. That also happens to be where the Eagles look the weakest in terms of their defence, so might not be such bad timing for the Seahawks. The Eagles, meanwhile, in terms of their injuries, I mean, they're all over the place with the offence. We talked before about that unique play style with some quick passes out to the running backs and the wide receivers, and that's that's been a tactic that the Seahawks seem to have struggled against this season, so that could see some success for the Eagles, and they aren't too good against the run either, the Seahawks. So an interesting one here, and... While these two teams aren't in a great place, they both of their issues could prove to be the benefit in terms of how this one ma- matches up. It's it's a bit of a weird one. So what are you thinking about it? A weird one would be putting it nicely. I think that's quite an understatement. Um, traders did a very good job opening this number where they did. There were some other places that were misleading with the intent of the number they sent out to say the least there were some places that sent out seattle plus three um which was an interesting number but to keep the focus on the game and sort of what you can take from it i think a lot of people listening to this podcast feel the same way as what you just described about the philadelphia eagles but i would consider this when you're handicapping this game there were two teams in the NFL, and I'm not going to make you, I'm not going to put you on the spot and make you guess, but there were two teams in the NFL this season that finished 
top 10 in all four categories for success rate. So passing offense, passing defense, rushing offense, rushing defense. There were two teams in the NFL to finish top 10 for all four. Number one was the team we just talked about, the New Orleans Saints. Number two is the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, I would have got it. You should have asked me. Well, I sort of set it up with the with the game here, but everybody's really trashing the Eagles. I, I it's interesting to see that they've been extremely well rounded for the course of the season. So that stat was one that I sort of went. I I heard it. I went back and looked at the tables. I was like, "There's no way." I checked another set of tables, and sure enough, you see they're tied for tenth. A passing success rate offense, but otherwise the other three were well inside the top 10. So extremely well-rounded team. And like the injuries is the second thing that we're thinking about these, the Eagles, especially down the course of the last four or five weeks of the season. We go back five weeks. They lost 17-9 against the Seahawks team. That game opened Philadelphia minus two, closed Seattle minus one in Philadelphia. Exactly what we're seeing from this point spread in total this week. The final four weeks of the season against four NFC East teams, as well as the Miami Dolphins in there to start that off, the Eagles put up at least 400 yards of offense, 398 against Miami. That's one caveat, but 400 yards of offense the last four weeks of the season with all these injuries and concerns and no wide receivers on the team. So this is an Eagles team that top 10 in all four major categories. And then 400-plus yards of offense, five games in a row to end the season. And we get to the playoffs, and everyone's talking about how much this team is struggling offensively, where the weapons are going to come from. They have all these injuries. They back their way into the playoffs. It's There's two different stories going on between what the numbers are saying versus what we're hearing on the news within the narrative. And I think that that's fueling a lot of this support for Seattle who's a team, and I think everybody's seen the tweet by now, but if you were to reverse the result in one-score games over the course of the NFL season, the Seattle Seahawks have the worst record in the NFL. So this is a Seattle team that's continuously finding wild ways to win in the second half in very competitive games, rarely getting out to any substantial lead on their opponent. So... It's from a numbers perspective, there's nothing here that suggests that the Seattle Seahawks are overwhelmingly better than the Philadelphia Eagles, especially enough to draw this kind of support within this market in a playoff game on the road for Seattle in this spot. Now, the one sort of thing that continues to make this game even more strange is Seattle, we know they love to run the football. As you mentioned, they have all these injuries to the running backs. It didn't stop them from running in the first half against the San Francisco 49ers in week 17. For whatever reason, this coaching staff is just determined to get out and run the football in the first half with sort of reckless abandon, for better or for worse, and they continue to put themselves in a poor situation. Then they go into halftime, and they come out, and the pass rate shoots up, and the offensive line steps up from it as well. We saw against San Francisco going to the halftime, scoreless, trailing, They come out in the third quarter. All of a sudden, the offensive line is picking up the blitz for San Francisco. It's giving Russell Wilson time. And then we're looking at a top five passing attack in terms of efficiency as well as success rate in the Seattle Seahawks that can be extremely explosive. And if you're going to attack this Philadelphia Eagles defense, you're going to want to do it outside and deep down the field. The question for me becomes, 
when you're looking at this game, there's such a big support from the numbers for Philadelphia. But is this a spot where you want to sort of maximize this coaching mismatch and take the Eagles in the first half and sort of ignore the adjustments that Seattle makes within the second half when they're sort of forced to pass and they continuously get, they sort of back into this ideal game plan uh, that they never come out and lead with. But when the scoreboard forces them to, they can play catch up because they're so much more efficient throwing the football than they are running the football. So you have to sort of approach this from what's a better case scenario. Is it the first half? Is it the full game? Uh, but I really think that it's it's going to be extremely difficult to make a case for Seattle, especially at this price point when it was flipped the other way. Maybe there's something here, but this is probably a game. I haven't played it yet because I'm curious to see how high this number ultimately goes. Uh, but this is a spot where... I think one way or another, I'm going to find myself on the Philadelphia Eagles by kickoff. Well, there we go. There's our four wildcard games done. We're, we're right at the business end of the season now and top level analysis as always, Adam. So thanks for coming on. Looking forward to the games and hopefully we can get some favorable results after what was a winning end to the season. So we need to continue rolling through the playoffs. Here. Well, here's to hoping. Thanks to everyone for listening. You can bet with all of the odds we discussed on today's show from the individual wildcard games to the futures for the Super Bowl. Good luck with any bets and remember to always gamble responsibly. 